Welcome to another episode of the No Ceilings Podcast. I am your host, Tyler Metcalf. This week I'm riding solo and I wanted to just share some general thoughts that have been eating away at me, address the Shade and Sharp news, and then run through just some general mailbag questions that I got on Twitter. So to start things off, I just kind of wanted to start off with my general feelings towards constructing this year's big board and it has been a rough process for me um the these last couple of drafts we've really been spoiled with a lot of the talent um not only at the top but then all the way throughout the first round and even into the 40s for some of these guys and this year i'm not really getting that vibe um relatively i I, i'm pretty solidified in my top 11 at least for now um and i feel pretty good about that top 11 which i i guess is encouraging that you know that much of a lottery i feel really strongly about but then after that i really struggle trying to figure out who to put 12 through 20 to 25 and i i don't really like a lot of the options and this sense of reluctance with a lot of these guys really dawned on me when we were doing our mock draft over at no ceilings and we were talking through a lot of the picks and it just everything felt high for all of those guys in that range and i just not really sold on the upside or the prospects of some of these prospects um but then once you get to the 25 the 2025 ish range you know there are about 30 guys who i want to slide into those final 10 spots where they're either upperclassmen who I think are really proving to be talented players and will actually have an ability to contribute right away to a contender or they're freshmen who I'm really encouraged about the potential of what they could be guys who fall into that, you know, that, that quote unquote pre-draft connotation where they don't, they may not warrant that draft spot right now, but, what they could be it's worth drafting them this high because if you draft them at 30 this year if they go back to school they may be a lottery pick next year so in that top 11 where i do feel pretty comfortable i i think chet jabari and paulo are really separating themselves at themselves at the top and for me chet is even a step a step ahead of those guys um i get the weight concerns but I, I, I think that's a cop-out. I think that's a lazy eval um, because it's not just that Chet is skinny because it really doesn't deter him that much. Yes, he gets planted under the rim at times, and when he faces Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid will do that to him just like he does that to every other human on the face of the earth that steps foot on a basketball court with him. What a lot of skinny centers who get a bad rap don't do which chet does is fight every possession and even though chet looks like this gangly creature out there who doesn't have a sense of his limbs his ability to control his entire body is really really impressive and i i think this is most on display when you look at his rim protection since I've been doing this, I, I honestly think that Chet is probably the best rim protector that I've evaluated. And this is my 
fifth or sixth season doing this. So, yes, I, I think Chet is a better rim protector than Evan Mobley was. I want to clarify that Evan Mobley is a far superior all-around defender than Chet. But Chet's ability to deter shots at the rim, to block shots, to stay vertical, to contort his body, to maneuver and stay with the ball handler while the ball handler is in midair and not foul him is so impressive. And then as he stays vertical, he waits, he absorbs the contact, then he waits for the ball handler to present the ball and go for the shot. And then that's when he swats down. It's just such a unique skill set. And it's it's like he's a Venus flytrap where I I apologize if I've if I'm stealing this from someone. I don't believe I've heard it elsewhere, but if I have apologies, the the theft of comparison is uh is not intentional. But Chet looks like a Venus flytrap where you look at him, you're like, yeah that's fine. That's safe. I can attack him. I can, I can land there. I'll be safe. I won't be in harm's way. And then once you do, he just invites you in. He accepts the contact. He lets you get into his body. And then once he, once the moment arises, that's when he snaps shut. That's when he blocks the shot. That's when you realize that you've gone, gotten in way over your head, that you're not getting the shot off. And if you do, it's going to be a 2% chance that it goes in. It's going to be complete luck. So Chet's pure rim protection, I think makes him one of these top three prospects, but then you look at the offensive side and you look at his outside. I think his outside shooting was always a bit overinflated. Um, I, I, the numbers really never backed up, um, you know, the, the expectations. And I don't think that's entirely fair and you can't really blame Chet for that. He's right now he's knocking down pretty much every trailer three he takes, which is cool. A little weird. Um, but in the half court he's struggling. But similar to the defensive end, he has just such a great sense of self-awareness. And he's not gonna try to overpower defenders in the post. He's going to use their their leverage to spin against their momentum. He's going to out leverage them. He's going to spin into a fade. He's going to take a, a face up, rip through drive baseline and finish with a reverse. He has a lot of different ways to score in the interior that isn't exclusively limited to backing down a guy and overpowering them. Now with Jabari, if, if you have Jabari or Paolo ahead of Chet, I don't blame you. Um, because I, I, I think all any three of these guys could go number one, but I still lean Chet. With Jabari, I just I struggle to see that superstar upside. I love his defense. Um, I broke down his defensive footwork over on No Ceiling Substack, shameless plug. Um, at his size, that sense of footwork and perimeter defense and that perimeter defensive versatility is so unique and he can be a legitimate defensive cornerstone for an NBA franchise almost from day one, which is a really special skill to bring to the table. And then you add on his shooting and he may be the best shooter in this class. It's absurd. The consistency of his mechanics, the high release point, the steady elevation, the strong core strength to keep him balanced it's 
every time he shoots, I expect it to go in. My concerns with Jabari, like so many others have voiced, is he cannot dribble at all. Jaden Hardy gets a bad rap for having a bad handle. Jabari can't dribble at all. He's okay at taking a one or two dribble pull up. Uh, He can sometimes attack closeouts on straight line drives, but if you shut down his initial move, odds are he's probably just picking up his dribble and passing out or just shooting over you, which I guess it, it, it is a skill in its own right, but he doesn't have a counter. He can't create space for himself. And I really worry that if you are projecting him to be this absolute superstar, he he needs to add that to his game because without it, he's an absolutely elite 3 and D prospect, which there's nothing wrong with. I love 3 and D prospects. Jabari's still number two on my board. So I, I don't want this to sound like I'm tr- trying to hate on Jabari or that I don't think he's going to be good. I think he's going to be excellent. I just worry that the history of players really developing their ball handling to an elite level. It's, it's not a great history. Paul George is probably the best example of it. And it just doesn't happen that often. So I don't want to rule it out for Jabari because if it does happen, if it does come along, then we're talking about a guy who's all NBA and going to be on MVP ballots down the road. So I just worry that, He's being billed as the superstar who can defend anyone and then on offense can create his own shot and be this dynamic scorer when I think it's going to be more limited as purely an off-ball shooter. And without that on-ball creation, I worry about how how much his offensive impact gets nullified. Now, with Paolo, I he he's one of the tougher evals for me right now because I'm starting to cool on him. And I don't think it's necessarily fair to him or based on really anything he's doing, which, you know, makes it sound, you know, that, that, that makes it, 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 it's an odd statement from me because I liked Paolo coming out of high school. I worried about the motor or lack thereof and a lot of his shot selection, but I, I, Before the college season started, I settled on a place where a lot of his weird shots were him just being bored. And he was such a superior basketball player and athlete that to everyone he was facing, that he was just trying shit out there where he was like, God, we're up by 20. It's the third quarter. I'm bored as fuck. Let me try this crossover between the legs spin into a step back three and just see what happens and the 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 results would be all over the place when it landed it was like oh my god um but then there'd be a lot where it hits off the side of the rim or falls four feet short and in the long run i think they'll be good for him oddly enough because it's him trying different things and him expanding his you know well of knowledge and this year, I feel like we're just seeing a lot more of the same without the absurdity because he's at Duke and they're playing actual games and they're playing for they they have actual title ambitions. So he's not doing the the weird circus shots that we saw, but it's it's tough because I he, I'm just cooling on him. I I think the defensive concerns are overblown. Um, 
I think he's a fine defender. I don't think he's great, but I don't think he's awful like some people like to make him out to be. His outside shooting worries me a little bit, and I don't really think he'll ever be great. With that said, what he does operating in the mid-range and from the elbows is truly special. His footwork, his strength, his balance, his combination of explosiveness and power with agility and balletic footwork and then adding on developing passing and playmaking ability to that mid-range and interior scoring game is really, really, really impressive. So I still have Paulo at three. I'm just, I, I don't know what type of player he's going to be. I've the comp, I, I hate comparisons in general, but some of the ones that I have heard are Blake Griffin in that one awesome year in Detroit. Um, and then the one I keep going back to that I just can't get out of my head is Julius Randle. Julius Randle has turned into a, a really good basketball player. He had a career year and made an all NBA team his first season with New York, but there were a lot of really bad years leading up to that. A lot of really inefficient scoring and a lot of losing. So if Paulo is being brought in to be this superstar point forward, I think the results will be disappointing. And I, I think there will be struggles, but if he's paired with or surrounded by really high level shooters and a good rim protector, I, I think the situation for him is really important. It, the situation is important for everyone. So that that's kind of a worthless comment by me, but I, I, I hope you understand what I mean, where I think Chet and Jabari can pretty much can almost go anywhere and succeed where Paulo goes, I think is going to have a much more significant influence on what type of player he turns out to be. But after those top three, it's another group of three for me right now where they're really good players right now. They'll, they should enter the league as really solid contributors, but they, they're just huge upside swings. And that's Johnny Davis, AJ Griffin and Jaden Ivy. So I, I I've come around and pretty solidified that Johnny Davis is the best guard in, th in this class over Jaden Ivy. That doesn't mean I hate Jaden Ivy. I still like Ivy. He's brilliant. His explosiveness, his speed, it's all absolutely incredible. Uh, I think just Davis is a more well-rounded player on both ends of the floor, especially defensively. And I, I do think Davis's shot from outside will get there to a respectable level. Um, he doesn't need to be 40% or higher, um, but I do expect that 35 to 39% kind of range um, for his career. And then AJ Griffin, it's, I, I don't know why this is coming as such a surprise because in the preseason, the guy had a pretty brutal knee injury that most of us, or at least myself initially expected, expected him to be out until about this time of the year. And then when he checked in on opening night, uh, many, including myself, were like, wait, what What the hell is that? Is that AJ Griffin? Didn't he just dislocate his knee not two, three weeks ago? Like, why is he stepping on the floor? 
And then we saw the ultimate of easing him back in. And it was five minutes here, two minutes there, four minutes here. And, oh, look, this really crappy team. Here's 19 minutes and huge scoring night and huge production. And then back to two straight weeks of barely five to eight minutes a night. And for some reason that everyone dropped him down their boards. And that made no sense to me because this guy entered college with really high expectations. And when he was given opportunities, he performed every time. And now those opportunities are becoming more and more regular and he's doing more of the same thing. So the fall never made sense to me. It felt reactionary. It felt premature. And now that he's doing the same things he's always done, doing the same things he's done all season. Um, I expect a really strong end to the year for him and for him to really stay and solidify himself in that top five to six range, because outside of those top three, and maybe even including those top three, Griffin has some of the highest superstar upside. Then the final group in that top 11 that I feel pretty good about are guys who I'm convinced are going to at least be solid role players in some form or fashion. Um, and that's Patrick Baldwin Jr., Benedict Matherin, Kendall Brown, Jalen Duran, and Keegan Murray. This group, I think, could... I, I think there's a really strong baseline for who these guys are going to be, where I don't see any of them... Ha- not making it past their rookie contract. I think they all, and then if a few things go right for each of them, there is that superstar upside where if Baldwin's shot really comes around, then we're talking about a 6'10 lethal shooter um, that you're getting at the back end of the lottery, which is an incredible steal. If Matherin shows a little bit more defensive consistency or a little bit more, um, on-ball creation and space creation and scoring with the ball, then we're talking about either a extremely dynamic offensive player or a really strong 3 and D wing. Kendall Brown, just really, all, if only the defense comes around, if that his defensive processing speeds takes it, or comes up a tick and he really starts identifying things quicker and rotating quicker, and upping that rebound percentage and that block percentage, then I think we're talking about a guy who potentially could be an all-star with his athleticism, his off-ball movement, his transition scoring, his cutting. The The awareness is there. He just needs to harness it on both ends of the floor. And then Jalen Duran, who's a, I'll dive into a little bit later, but he's still supposed to be in high school. And the rawness is there is pretty evident with him right now that youth is really evident and it jumps off the page when you watch him play. And then you just have to keep reminding yourself that he's for some reason he chose maybe the worst situation that he could have. And that Memphis team is not good. They're not a fun watch. And I'm not sure anyone in the country is in more of a desperate need of a point guard than they are. And then finally, Keegan Murray, I said it last week on the mock draft with Tyler Rucker that, I'm starting to come around more and more on him and it's, he's not just feasting on these lower level teams. He's producing against everyone. And it's, it's not these big scoring outbursts or these stretches of forcing four turnovers in a row. It's 
a little bit here and there all the way throughout the game. It's death by a thousand cuts. It's just constant production, just constant quality of play. And I I, I think I, I have to lock him into that top 11. So that, that top 11 of Chet Jabari, Paolo, Johnny Davis, AJ Griffin, Jay Nivey, Baldwin, Matherin, Brown, Duran, and Murray. I feel really good about after that, it gets really ugly. And for one of the reasons it's getting ugly is because there are a couple of wings who are off to really, who got off to really slow starts, who had lottery expectations in those two are oddly enough, big time players. And that's Max Christie and Caleb Houston, who I'll start off with Christie. His three point percentage is up to 33.8, but over the last five games, he's shooting 50% from three and high volume. And it's like somewhere between four to six attempts per game. His shot is really starting to come around. The mechanics always look good. I the, the shot not falling never made sense to me. And he's that guy who I've said, screw it. And I've moved up to number 12 or 13. So I, I have him in the late lotto right now because everything he does just suggests that he's a really good role player. I think the last five games of shooting are more indicative of the shooter. He will be than his first nine or 10 games were where he really struggled. Um, His defense, the, the, the biggest improvement to me has been his defense though, where the first few games of his that I watched, I was really discouraged by the defense, but these last, 10 his defensive footwork has been really impressive he has the size to add more muscle which will only allow him to be more versatile as a defender i think he is a multi-positional defender in the nba and he has the instincts the work rate and the footwork to do that so given that the shooting is starting to come around like i expected and i the mechanics are good the off-ball movements are great I think that by the end of the year, Max Christie is going to be proving to people that he should be a mid first round pick on the opposite side of that is Caleb Houston. And I think his basketball IQ is through the roof and it really shines with when you look at his off ball movement and how he runs off screens, how he relocates, how he runs in transition. It's all really impressive and really calculated because he's trying to drag defenders in a certain way to, either create a mismatch or an opportunity for the ball handler or create some confusion that will open himself up on the wing or cutting to the rim. And then his passing, another shameless plug. I broke that down for uh, no ceilings as well. So go check that out. Um, but he's a really good passer where once he, he, he can find cutters, once he gets inside, that first line of the defense, he's really good with his interior passing, whether it's kicking out to shooters or changing the angle to dump it off to the big man. The shot just isn't falling. It's It's been so bad, which doesn't make sense because the mechanics look good. Coming into college, His he had a history of shooting well. He's 31.9% from three on 4.8 attempts. He went three for four from three against Maryland in their last game. But in his previous five games before that, he was two of 21. It's been a really just 
rough year for Caleb Houston. I, I re- desperately want to stay patient because I think there's so much to like there with, at his size, his basketball IQ, what I think the shooting should be. And God, I pray it gets there. Um, but I, I just slowly keep having to drop him. He's still in the late first for me because I'm being overly stubborn and I desperately want things to turn around for him because that type of player is just a player that I always enjoy. Now, finally, for my just random thoughts, I want to talk about the center class um, outside of Chet because I'm struggling with struggling is probably not the, the right word, but I'm conflicted, which I guess is basically just another word for struggling. Um, the big thing is the value between Jalen Duran and the top 10 and then one of Mark Williams, Ishmael Kamagate, Walker Kessler, or Christian Coloco in the 20s or later. And the the ranking between Duran and that group of other four for me at the end of the year is pr- likely going to be pretty vast. And that's because I'm ranking the player in a vacuum on his individual skills and where I think he should be valued compared to the rest of the class. So Jalen Duran, he does have that superstar upside where if a lot of things go right for him, he could be that franchise center. And that is worth that top 10 pick. If I was an NBA team though, and I was advising someone at pick number nine or 10, and they also had a pick in the twenties, I'm not sure I would advise them to take Duran unless they're, they are ready for a long-term project because what Williams, Kamigate, Kessler, and Coloco I'll give you right now is more consistent. It's more productive. It's, it's more reliable and they are showing their rim protection, their scoring versatility at the rim and finishing and offensive rebounding abilities. So while I, 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 one, I, promise I can't stress this enough. I 1000% think Jalen Duran has significantly higher upside, but if a lot of things don't go right for him, and if he doesn't become that something really special that some people think he can be and will be, I'm not sure that he's going to provide enough value to justify taking him in the top 10 when you could get one of those four, four other centers who are a little more polished and a little more productive and a little more consistent when you could get one of them in at the end of the first or even in the early second. So now I want to kind of just transition. There was some huge news that broke um, earlier today on Shaden Sharp, who he was the number one ranked prospect for next year's uh, recruiting class and he was committed to Kentucky, but he did graduate early. He graduated high school early and he enrolled at Kentucky early. And it was recently announced that he is eligible for the 2022 draft. And this is a massive wrinkle in um, everyone's boards and everyone's projections and all that. Uh and honestly, I have really mixed feelings about it. Not not about him being declared eligible or whatever. I, I could care less about that. Let, let people should be able to make their money when they can. Um, I don't really care about that end of it. But 
I'm not completely sold on Sharp as a player. And <laughs> just for clarification, um, I have been knee deep in the 2022 draft film. So all I've seen of Shaden Sharp was high school stuff from last year when I was preparing for the 2022 class. So I've seen a handful of his games. Um, all of it is probably outdated. So take, take all of this with a grain of salt, but I, I thought it was important that I at least share my thoughts on sharp um, pros. Uh, he's a freak athlete in the open court uh, in transition. When he's, when he has a clear lane to the rim cutting from the weak side, he is an awesome above the rim finisher and his leaping ability is really, really special. I am also really encouraged and really liked his off ball movement. I thought he cut pretty naturally where and just his timing, his awareness, his effectiveness doing it was really impressive. And then he also relocated on the perimeter pretty well. And I was also really encouraged how locked in as an on ball defender he was. I, I think his his instincts were really solid. His footwork was impressive, and his athleticism really sh- shone through um, in that area of his game as well. Things I was a little underwhelmed by was his space creation and shooting consistency. I think those kind of go a little hand in hand because he's not creating a bunch of space on the perimeter because I, just an okay ball handler, which results in a lot of tough shots and those not going in. Um, I think his, I, I think he was a little more impressive as just a, a catch and shoot guy. Um, and then not much of a playmaker. And I think his athleticism really gets oversold. Um, I know I just got done praising it, but in the open court, I want, can't stress enough in the open court when he's on his own, that's when it was really impressive in the half court, when there were defenders around, when he couldn't just leap off two feet undeterred that's when it was more of an issue and i i i know you're going to counter with a handful of highlights of him dunking over some five seven dude um and that's fair that's fair um but the handful of games i saw when he attacked the rim in the half court it wasn't that same level of explosiveness that we saw in transition so yes he's a really good athlete I don't think he's this generational athlete that he is frequently getting pegged as. So there there's a lot of his tape that I now need to catch up on. People who are throwing him at number one, I think are really being reactionary. And it's just the 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 Barney Stinson model of new is always better. Um so I I'm gonna be patient with it. I'm gonna have to go through. Um it's it's a fun new wrinkle to get thrown into a draft class that um, I I don't think was kind of really generating as much buzz or excitement um, or passion as some of the last couple have been. So it's a fun little uh, wrinkle, I suppose, um, to add to this year. So now I want to just transition into some mailbag questions. Um, I threw out I, I, I threw out the beacon on Twitter asking for some questions for this week. And the first one I want to start out with is from Logan Alton at Lalton NBA. Uh, Logan's Lo, Logan's a good friend. He's a good guy. Um, 
he asked if you could only pick one guy in the 10 to 20 range, one in the 20 to 30, 30 to 40, 40 to 50, 50 to 60 um, of my board, who would you pick to build the best lineup? So I was incredibly tempted to just do some, some egregious board maneuvering, but I, I'm, I'm a man of honor. I'm a man of my word. So I, I, I did no movement ahead of this. I promise. So in the 10 to 19 range, I went with Jalen Duran as my center in the 20 to 29 range. I went with Taryn Armstrong as my point guard and Jalen Duran can finally feast as the rim runner. He should be uh, with Armstrong's passing who and Armstrong is the best playmaker in this class. In the 30 to 39 range, I went with EJ Liddell, who I'll get into a little bit more in a minute here in the next question, actually. Um, but the evolution of Liddell's game has been really impressive. Um, and I, I think him at the power forward position would pair really nicely with, with Duran. In the 40 to 49 range, I went with Julian Strother who provides a little bit of off-ball shooting, some really good cutting, um, just solid team defense, and he's sneaky, a really excellent offensive rebounder. Um, And then 50 to 59, I'm going to upset some of my no-ceilings folks with where I have him ranked, but Hyun Jung Lee um, as my shooting guard. He is probably the best off-ball shooter in this class. Um, he is also one of the best off ball movers with how he runs off screens to create space for either a three or really time his cuts and be a, one of the most effective at rim finishers in the country right now. So with his shooting, his off ball movement, and then his really intelligent passing, um, I think that really complements and rounds out the offense and then his lack of athleticism kills him on defense but with Liddell with Duran at the rim and Strother on the perimeter I, I I think that it won't be much of an issue so rounding the whole squad out Taryn Armstrong at point guard Hyung Jung Lee at shooting guard Julian Strother small forward EJ Liddell power forward and Jalen Duran at center next up is from Stephen Gillespie at Stephen G Hoops can you explain how wide the talent gap is between Keegan Murray and EJ Liddell? So this is kind of tough for me because I, I think there's completely different players. They're, they play at the same position, but I think their style of play is extraordinarily different where I think offensively Murray is more of an on-ball creator with, and more of a shooting threat where he can score in a, little more variety of ways that translate a little cleaner to the NBA. Whereas Liddell, he's really become a versatile scorer, but it's spot up threes, it's pick and pop threes, and it's post-ups and stuff like that, where I don't see it translating as cleanly as Murray's scoring game will. Uh, With that said, I, I, I really think Liddell has a chance to go in the first round and his two-way versatility, his rebounding, his toughness. Um, He's also an incredible screener. I know that's a lame skill to hype up, but his ability to screen and then pop out for three or roll and finish through contact, it's it's really impressive. And the jump that he's taken as a player, the consistency in his scoring game that he's taken from last year to this year has been 
really impressive. So I, I still have Murray in that mid to late lotto. Um, EJ Liddell continues to climb up the boards for me. I I think I have him early second round. Um, yeah, so I, I have Liddell in the 30s right now. So I, I, do, I think Murray is a pretty significantly more talented player. But in the NBA, it wouldn't surprise me if they kind of end up having the same level of impact because I, I do think whoever takes Liddell is going to get a tremendous amount of value out of him. Uh, next up from Nathan Grubel at Draft Deeper, part of the No Ceilings family. Rank these point guards in this class between Tati Washington, Kennedy Chandler, Jean Montero, and J.D. Davison. So I really hate this point guard class. Um, not not personally, just as basketball players or as NBA prospects. And I don't entirely get the tie-tie love. I feel like a lot of people are forcing him into the top 10 because it feels really weird to not have at least one point guard in the top 10. Um, with that said, tie-tie is my top ring point guard. And I, I have him at the very end of the lottery or mid first. It's like in that 13 to 16 range. Um, and there is a lot to like, I, I really like his outside shooting. I think off the dribble, his off the dribble three isn't as reliable as off the catch right now. Um, but his ability to get to his spots in the mid range and knock down mid range pull-ups is super impressive. And he might have one of the best floaters in the country right now. So even though he's not the best athlete, even though he doesn't create a ton of space, his ability to score in that intermediate range, either with pull-ups or floaters is really valuable. Um, because I, I worry that he can't really create space off the dribble without a screen. Um, and I'm not sure really anyone in this group ends up becoming a full-time starting point guard, or at least a primary initiator. They may be starting point guard in, in their lineup, but, I think that will probably be next to a jumbo initiator or another point guard. Um, and then my, my bigger concern with Washington as that pure point guard is that I don't think he's much of a playmaker. Um, I think he's a really impressive passer. I think he runs a solid two man game, but as a playmaker, I don't see it. And to differ my, my differentiation between being a good passer and being a good playmaker is a good playmaker can be a good passer, but not all good passers are good playmakers. So for example, Tyus Jones is an excellent passer. He rarely turns the ball over. He finds the open guy. Whereas LaMelo ball is a brilliant playmaker. He's passing guys open. He's executing passes that others can't even imagine he's changing the angles putting spin on the ball leading guys to where they should be and to those open spots so for this class Taryn Armstrong is the best playmaker where he's doing those things that LaMelo Ball is doing not comparing the two but I hope you understand what I'm saying whereas Ty Ty Washington is more like Tyus Jones when it comes to playmaking where he's executing the right reads he's making the safe pass he's running a solid two-man game um and then finally with Ty Ty I think his defense has really improved um as the season has progressed I think his on-ball def defensive footwork is pretty solid I think his instincts are solid 
Um, there's still a handful of lapses off ball every game, but his gambling, his consistency, it's, it's all just really improved. So it's not a huge gap for me and I'm not super high on him, but Ty Ty is my top ranked point guard. Um, after that is Kennedy Chandler. I'm, I'm still a lot higher on Chandler than most people. He's in that mid to late first round range for me. Uh, the speed is obvious. Um, I, I understand the worries about the size similar to Chet. I think that's, that feels lazy if that's your only gripe against him, but then a, a point, a point to you because NBA teams are kind of showing that they're reluctant to, to, to bring in these small guards unless they really show something special. So I think Chandler's still a really good basketball player. I, I, think he has some of the best defensive hands in this class i think his footwork it's a little inconsistent but mostly really encouraging especially with his screen navigation um and then i still believe in his outside shooting and i think he's he has a lot of craft and creativity with his with his at rim finishing which i also broke down over at no ceilings uh make sure to go check it out um the biggest issue is that that intermediate and mid-range area that I just praised Washington for Chandler's awful. He might have the worst floater in the country. He's in the 21st percentile in points per possession on his floaters. So that lack of free throw attempts he's get he's generating. It's only about two to three per game, I believe right now. So not generating free throws, not being able to score in the intermediate and mid-range that is a huge issue because at his size, those are the areas where he really has to punish defenders because if he can't, he becomes so much easier to guard because his defenders can run him off the three-point line, funnel him into that mid-range, and then the rim protector knows that he doesn't have to step out. He can just keep dropping to either protect the rim or take away the lob because when Chandler throws up that floater, it's going to be a brick. So... Chandler really, really, really has to develop that floater. And if he doesn't, then then I will really understand and maybe start to get behind some of the the negativity towards him. Third, I have Jean Montero. Um it's it's brutal. Uh the, the, this overtime elite is a pretty massive abomination of basketball. Um I hate the way they play. It's highlight culture personified. It's they're not running anything. It's just up and down. It's who can make the sexiest highlight. And none of these kids seem to be getting better. Um, so with him, you really have to hope that the prior year's international sample is a better representation of who he is because I'm not sure he can run an NBA offense right now. He's making a lot of really, really bad mistakes and decisions and is really sloppy with the ball against high schoolers. And if he's, if that's not, if that's who he is as a player, I, I don't see him translating to the NBA quickly, if at all. Um, And I, you just really have to hope that it's, he's realizing how bored he is and how much better he is than these guys. And he's just simply not trying Just so I'm not completely denigrating Montero, he does have a really interesting playmaking and scoring package. Uh, There's a lot of creativity there. There's a lot of touch. So that's all encouraging. And if you really buy into that 
and really buy into his international sample, I, I, I can't understand why um, you would have him higher than I do right now, where I have him mid to late 20s. And the the majority of what I've seen of Montero, though, has been from OTE, and it just has not been good. And then fourth, I have J.D. Davison, who is one of the best athletes in this class and at the point guard position. I'm not really sure what else he is. Um, he really use, uses that athleticism to be deadly in transition and get to the rim um, relatively easily when he wants to, but if he wants to, isn't pre, you know really consistent. I don't trust the shot really at all. He's in the 12th percentile in points per possession, shooting off the dribble. And I just kind of forget he's on the floor a lot. Um, the impact that he has is really inconsistent. It's all over the place. And I've seen a lot of him in the lottery. I don't understand that at all. Um, if my point guard can't shoot at all, if I, I, I struggle to see how he makes a legitimate impact. Um, so hopefully the shot starts to show a little more. Hopefully the defense improves some. Um, I'm, I'm just, I've really cooled off on Davison and don't, and it, it's almost to a point where I'm not sure he's even in that same, same group of names as Ty Ty Chandler and Montero. Next question is from Simon Rath at Hawks Draft Nerd. Which prospect ranked 50 or higher uh, for you would be drafted the highest if you added 38% from three on good volume to their profile? So if I wanted to get weird and have a little fun with it, I think I would go with a few centers like Zach Eady or Trace Jackson Davis or Oscar Shibwe. Um, if you turn them to into 40% or 38% three-point shooters on six attempts a game, uh, sign me all the way the hell up. Um, those become completely different players, but I, I, I don't think that's necessarily the in the spirit of the question. Uh, so my, my actual answer here is Eric Gaines, the point guard from LSU, who I absolutely adore. Um, I think he's one of the best guard defenders in the country. Um, incredible feet, incredible instincts, incredibly quick hands. And he is just an absolute menace on that end of the floor. Uh, and then this year, he's also shown that he's incredibly gifted at creating off the dribble. His ability to beat his defender and get into the lane and get to the rim, that that lightning quick first step, the tight handle, it's all been really impressive this year. He does need to get stronger, and he's shooting just 23.4% from three. So that's it, it's really painful. So if you added 38%, from three on volume uh, to his already Im really impressive defense and ability to create and pass from the interior. I, I think that he would likely be a first for sure. A first round prospect, maybe even lotto, at least for me uh, next up uh, from Benny profane at Benny underscore profane. Apologies if I'm for any pronunciation issues. If so, so Benny asks, if Bochamp was a solid shooter, say 35 to 39%, I'm assuming from three, uh, where would you have him on your board and how would you see his outlook? So Bochamp is a guy I've really struggled to get a good 
grasp on. Um, I currently have him in the mid twenties because I, I like the athleticism. I like the off ball scoring ability and that transition scoring. Um, I, the defensive consistency has worried me a little bit, at least in the games I've seen, um, which is uh, six of them. Um, and then, like you said, the shooting. So if he was that high 30% outside shooter, he would definitely be higher for me and probably in that lottery range, um, probably late lottery. So like that 10 to 14 range for him um i know a lot of other people have him already in that range that that's a little rich for my blood um even mid first round is a little rich for me right now but i'm I'm excited to go back and re-examine some of their upcoming or more recent games and see how he's growing as a player and try to find what others are seeing in in him and if i I'm kind of seeing the same thing, but yeah, if he showed or proved that he could be a really reliable outside shooter, it, it would just do wonders for his game. Next up from Corey Tolaba at Corey Tolaba. Um, who is the Halliburton slash Franz type guy in this draft who is definitely awesome and better than guys who will be taken ahead of them, but are kind of boring. So they start getting a little underrated. Uh, so, so, this one's a little tough for me because I was super high on both those guys and thought they were both extremely fun. So Corey's use of the word boring, just a little, little knife to the heart there. Um, but I, I, I get what he's saying where they're just these, you know, quote unquote, just really good basketball players. And what they do is going to translate. Um, I think Keegan Murray could maybe fall into this, but he's, Pro, you know, lottery already. Um, Oshag Baji, I think, could potentially fall into this. Uh, for me right now, though, um, I'm going to pivot and go a different way uh, and talk about a guy that I mentioned earlier in Max Christie. Um, nothing he does is really overly flashy. Uh, he's just a great off-ball mover, relocating, cutting. I love all of that. His sense of floor awareness is really impressive. I think the shooting is really legit and even if he just has a mediocre end to the season, I think long-term that shot is really going to be there. And if he decides to return to school for another year, um, I then I think he'll really show that off, but I think he should go pro. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I'm much higher on him right now than almost anyone else. And then his on-ball defense is really impressive. And especially once his body continues to mature and he's stronger, then once you pair that with his footwork and instincts um, and just general awareness and willingness to play his role, I, I, I think he could be an incredibly impressive and useful um, wing in the NBA. All right. So fi- the final question is from, and I apologize again for pronunciation from Blend production at YT underscore blend uh, best shooters in this class. Um, separate on ball versus off ball. So for on ball, um, I'm going to go Johnny Davis and Ty Ty, who I think are kind of similar shooters um, where the way they get to their spots in the mid range is so incredibly impressive where they're really strong. They pick their spot and then the quickness that they elevate makes it impossible for defenders to really get a strong contest on them. Even if it looks like it, the odds are the ball's already out of their hands by the time the guy has a hand in their face. Um, 
and then Jabari Smith, who's probably who deserves to fall into probably both these categories. He's not a great space creator, but his size combined with his release point and his mechanics make him just a deadly, you know, one dribble pull up shooter or shooter off the catch. And then oddly enough, Caleb Love has been an absolutely absurd shooter this year. Uh, he's in the 91st percentile and shooting off the dribble and the 99th percentile shooting off the catch. So Love, I think, is one of those guys where we kind of have to just throw out his freshman year. The The way his shot has come around this season has been incredibly impressive, and he deserves to be getting more love. And then the final on-ball, uh, really quality on-ball shooter I want to bring up is Julian Champagne, uh from St. John's. And he's just one of the those premier just pure scorers in the country right now. Um, it's not always the most efficient, but when he gets hot, some of the shots that he makes are absolutely incredible. Then for off ball, uh, I, I think Ochag Baji has to kind of top the list right now. Um, the way he's transformed his game from his freshman year, being a purely energy player out there, relying on pure effort and athleticism into this ball handling spot up shooting menace is it's a really rare transformation and just kind of shows that going back to school isn't always a bad thing um for a lot of guys it pays dividends and it really helps them develop in roles that they would never be exposed to in the nba um also young jung lee um he has to be mentioned he's an assassin from outside his spot up shooting is and off off uh, running off screens and movement shooting is absurd. Uh, I think Max Christie deserves to be mentioned in here, even though the numbers right now currently don't suggest it. I think the mechanics are really impressive and the numbers will eventually back that up. Uh, kind of similar thing with Patrick Baldwin. And then finally, Tyler Burton, uh, my passion project for the last two, last two years, uh, seeing him improve as a shooter. Uh, he's, cut out a lot of the fat from his shooting motion from last year. Um, I, I just wrote about him last week over on No Ceilings and talked with uh, Nick on the NBA Deep Dives podcast about him earlier tonight, actually. Um, so make sure to go check those out. But Burton still has a little too much arc. He still has a little bit of an elongated uh, dip when he catches it. But when you look at where his shot came from last year to this year, the the mechanics are much tighter. They're much more consistent, which is so encouraging. And the fact that he's up over 41% from three on almost a full attempt more per game, um, he, he absolutely needs to be mentioned here. So that's where I'm going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for your questions. I had a lot of fun doing that. Once again, I'm your host, Tyler Metcalf. You can follow me on Twitter at tmetcalf11. And please make sure to subscribe to the No Ceilings Substack at noceilings.substack.com, where you can find all of our written work and follow us on Twitter at noceilingsnba. The Substack is completely free and it gets delivered directly to your inbox. So there's zero excuse not to subscribe. Uh, please make sure to check us out on YouTube at No Ceilings TV as well. We've been putting up a bunch of mid-year or mid mid-season review videos and T Tyler Rucker's been putting up a, f a few more prospect breakdowns. I've been putting up a few more skill breakdowns. So we, we just have a lot of really cool stuff over there along with some big board and mock draft videos. And we're going to keep continuing to grind out really, really informative content 
informative and entertaining content um, over there. I had a lot of fun with this episode. It was, it was a little change of pace, my, my first solo episode. So I, I hope you enjoyed it. If you ever ever have any questions, please send them my way on Twitter. Um, and I'll try to provide a more in-depth answer on here. I will obviously answer you on there as well. But here I'll be able to provide a little more context and a little more in-depthness. Um, or if you leave a review um, on whatever podcast listener you're listening to with a question in it, I absolutely promise that it will get read and answered on here. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating. Until next time, see ya.